We've been looking at the book of Joshua from the Old Testament. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we saw the battle of Jericho, which really wasn't a battle at all. God miraculously delivers the city into the hands of the people. They march around several times, they give a shout, and the walls fall down. We also heard that God doesn't want his people to be a nation of pirates just to go in and take all the plunder. Right? He actually says uh, it's not about going and getting the good stuff in Jericho because the Canaanites are so evil, so wicked, that there is no good stuff. All of it should be devoted to destruction, which is why he completely destroys Jericho. And with such a sound and overwhelming victory, it's hard to imagine anybody defeating Israel, especially if God behaves this way in their favor. But the very next city they come to, it's not really even a city, it's a town, more like a village. It's called Ai, spelled A-I. Israel's not even worried about it. They only send up 3,000 fighters, and they get routed. They run away with their tails between their legs. And after Jericho, a defeat at Ai makes us ask the question, why? Why does this happen? Why would God allow Israel to lose to such a tiny little town? Part of chapter 7 tells the military story of the battle at Ai, but the other part tells us why they lost. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Joshua chapter 7, let's give ear to the reading of God's word. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. The Lord said to Joshua, get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the valley of Achor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me before we continue. God, we come to a passage like this, uh, and it's easy for us to want to dismiss it, 
to put it away as just a moral tale to help us reform our behavior, to make believe that it's far enough in the past that it doesn't apply to us anymore, to say that you're different now than you were then. God, help us to believe that this is true. We trust you that you have said that all of these things are written so that we might believe in Jesus and receive his grace. And so this morning, I ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to help us hear the words of new life this morning. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, one Thanksgiving, when we were living in Nashville, we had a bunch of family come in to celebrate. My uh, sister, my brother and his girlfriend, my mom, Nicole's sister, everybody was there. Uh, and our family tradition is to put up our Christmas or uh, you know, decorations the Friday after Thanksgiving. So we included them, got them to help us. And I was in the walk-in attic getting all the boxes out. I was reaching over and grabbing the boxes and turning and handing them to Nicole. And my feet were on the trusses of the attic, right? These big boards that run lengthwise. And I was shifting my weight left to right, left to right. And hopefully you know where this story is going because as I went to put my foot back down on the truss, I missed and I put my foot down on the sheetrock that was underneath the truss. Now, you don't have to have a degree in construction engineering to know that sheetrock is not meant to hold my weight. So I went straight through into the bathroom below. Thankfully, my shin caught the truss on the way down so I didn't fall all the way through. And as my siblings ran around the corner to look into the bathroom, there's my foot just dangling through the ceiling. This passage is all about weight. Not physical weight, but the weight that we give to things in our hearts. The way we value them. The heavier they are, the more important they are to us. The harder we pursue them, the more we're willing to give up for them, and the more we're willing to do to protect them if we've already got them. So often the things that have the top spot in our hearts, the most valuable, the weightiest, if you will, are good things. And we pour all of our attention into them. Our focus, our planning, our effort, our energy, our thoughts, our strategies. And you might think, well, if I'm giving my life to pursue something good, how is that bad? The reality is those things being created by God are good, but they were never meant to bear that much weight. And sooner or later, you're going to plunge through the sheetrock of life. Now, maybe it's not going to turn out as bad as it did for Achan, but giving your heart to something that is not God will eventually lead to trouble. Thankfully, that's where God steps in. Not with a message of condemnation and punishment any longer, but with a message of hope, which is exactly what we need. Three points for us this morning, very simple outline. Weight, trouble, and hope. We're going to start with weight. The things that derail Israel and Achan here in in this passage are very simple. A cloak from Shinar, that's Babylon. We all know how great Babylon is at making clothes. There's 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold that's 50 shekels in weight. That's about five pounds of silver, one pound of gold. I calculated it. That's like $40,000. I didn't know how to value the you know, cloak from Shinar, but we assume it's really good. So 40 grand. At this time, though, for Achan, that was probably an entire life's wages. Five pounds of silver, 
and a pound of gold. Yes, it's physically heavy. But think about the fear that that amount of money quieted in his heart. Think about the way that he was able to predict what his life would look like in the future, the power that it gave him over his own life and perhaps even the future of his children. That is heavy. That's valuable to him. And the way he talks about taking these objects, we can hear the weight building in his heart. He tells Joshua, I saw them. I coveted them. I wanted it. So I took it, and then I hid it. It's not just about the physical weight and what it was valued at, but it's about what it meant to him in his heart. And we know that because of what Joshua says when Joshua shows up. He doesn't come to Achan and he says, I know what you did. God knows what you stole. Give it back. Instead, he says, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. And that word glory in Hebrew is the Hebrew word kavod. It means glory, yes, but it comes from the root word heavy, weight. Give God the weight that he deserves. Achan's heart put the weight in the wrong place. And so do we. We do the same thing. Perhaps it's not for you silver and gold, although None of us would turn our noses down at five pounds of silver. But for us, often the things that take up the most weight in our heart are things like approval, reputation, perhaps specific possessions, yes, but also power, pleasure, control, relationships, sex, money. Those are the kinds of things that become weighty in our lives. Those are the kinds of things that make us say, I see that, I want that, I covet it, I gotta have it, so I'm gonna take it. You know, for me, what fits into that uh, situation is respect. I, uh, respect is so heavy in my heart. I value it so much. And it's not because I'm willing to give anything up in order to get it, but I recognize it because of how my heart acts when I don't have it when people don't show me respect, right? When my kids don't listen to me when I tell them what to do, it starts to eat at me a little bit. I get a little frustrated. But when I talk to someone and I make a suggestion about how they should live or a situation they're in, I've already experienced and I say, hey, this is, a, this is how you should handle it. This is what's gonna happen. And they don't listen to me. It just cuts the legs out from my ego. And I feel like they've spat in my face. The inverse is true too. When someone comes to me and said, hey, you said this one time and I went and did it. Or thank you for telling me what to do. I went, and it turned out so well. Yeah, it did. You know it. That's right. It's working. You're listening to me. Thank you. Thank you for the respect I deserve. What holds weight in your heart? Is it comfort? Maybe a relationship a title or a promotion or some kind of status at work. Perhaps it is just peacefulness. What is it that has you thinking, man, I see that everywhere. It's like everybody else has that and I want it. Sooner or later, it's going to lead you to say, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go take it. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. I don't know what I'll have to give up, but I'm going to take it. 
Whatever holds that level of weight in your heart, if it's not God, it's going to lead you to trouble. No questions asked. This word trouble is thrown around a lot in the passage. In fact, Achan's name in Hebrew means trouble. Probably not the best thing to name your kid. <laughs> it seems like not a good idea. In fact, the only time that Achan is mentioned in the Bible outside of Joshua is in 1 Chronicles, and he's called Achan the Troubler of Israel. Trouble the Troubler. When his sin is exposed, they take Achan to the valley of Achor. And you might think, wow, that sounds the same. It is the same. It's the valley of trouble. Trouble the troubler is taken to the valley of trouble. And Joshua says, why have you brought trouble on us today? Today, the Lord brings trouble on you. Trouble's everywhere. It's just the, the kind and simple way of saying uh, the fallout of giving your heart to something created instead of God. And the trouble that the Lord brings upon Achan is that he and everything that belongs to him is treated like something devoted to destruction. Did you see God say this in the passage? God says the reason that Israel couldn't stand against the town of Ai is because they've taken things devoted to destruction and they themselves have become things devoted to destruction. Achan stole these things and has become like those things. And so they stone him and they burn him. And this is terrible. But do not be fooled. Achan knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what the consequences of his actions were, and he did it anyway. That's why he hid the things. Otherwise, he'd be walking around going, look at all this silver. Look at this gold. Isn't this amazing? He knew it was wrong, and he knew what the consequences would be, and he did it anyway. You see, Achan is the inverse of Rahab. Do you remember Rahab, the prostitute that lived in Jericho? She saw the people of God coming, and she said to herself, the only way that I survive, the only way my family and I will actually live is if I am with God, if I become part of God's people. Achan, on the other hand, saw these riches. And he said, I want them, even if it kills me. Achan is the inverse of Rahab. And we all know people who have given their lives to the pursuit of something they desire, and they lose everything, right? Our, our newsfeed is filled with people who have literally given their lives up in the pursuit of something that they saw, they coveted, and they took and their lives come crashing down in a very public way. Politicians, celebrities, pundits, even famous pastors, thieves, and those who break in and steal. We see their lives fall apart. And our, we ourselves too. We give our hearts to these weighty things. And they bring us trouble as well. It's just not as public. Right? The pursuit of a job, a promotion, approval at work might lead to trouble at home. Consequences with your family because you're never home. And if you are, you're not really there. Pursuit of never making a mistake, never having to say you're sorry or, or see your failure work out in front of you leads to actually a very timid life, a, a panicky life because everything presents an opportunity to fail. 
paralysis by analysis, right? The pursuit of a perfect relationship, either with someone who's out there that you haven't met yet or the person that you're in relationship with now can lead to trouble of moving away from anybody who shows any sign of weakness or completely controlling the person that you're with to try and make them into this perfect partner only to push them further and further away. I don't know exactly what trouble the weighty thing in your heart will bring, but if you've given your heart to something that is not God, it will bring you trouble. And God says here, trouble that is far worse than the loss of a career, the loss of family, worse than being stoned, worse than being burned with fire, worse than being remembered as trouble, the troubler of Israel for all eternity. In verse 12, God says, you give your heart to something like this, I will be with you no more. And you may not believe it, but that is absolutely the worst thing that could happen to anyone. We see passages like this in Scripture, and they seem terrible. And we try to dismiss them because uh, it sounds bad that God would okay the stoning and burning of somebody. We want to disconnect from the story, and I think part of it is because we don't like the reality that perhaps my actions have brought the trouble in my life. The things I'm doing could blow up in my face. I don't want to believe that, so I don't want this story to be true. And it's not just here. It's throughout all of Scripture and in the life around us that my heart and your heart is going to make that weightiest thing its goal, and I'll pursue it. And it will certainly lead me to trouble of some kind. Loss of time, loss of relationships, loss of credibility maybe, loss of a job, loss of family, it will certainly lead you away from God. It will leave you hopeless, which is why we need God to give us a message of hope. If the story just ends with Achan in the valley of Achor under a pile of stones so that everyone will remember what a trouble he was, then we're all out of luck. But 500 years after this was written down, about 1,000 years after it actually happened, God sends a prophet, a prophet named Hosea, to speak to the people of Israel. And when Hosea shows up, the people of Israel are in a lot of trouble at this point, right? They have given their hearts over to all the other gods that are in Canaan, that the people of Canaan worship, and they have left God himself. And so Babylon and Assyria have come in, they've taken over, they've started to take Israel captive and exile them all over the Middle East. And the people of Israel are looking around and going, why is this happening? Why is there so much trouble? God sends Hosea to speak to the people of Israel through the analogy of Hosea's own marriage. He was married to a prostitute, and she had given her heart to plenty of other men and continues over and over to leave Hosea. And God speaks to Hosea about her behavior. And through those words, he speaks to Israel about Israel's behavior, which mirrors Hosea's wife's behavior. And the words that God speaks to his people through Hosea are convicting. Her actions are analogy for Israel's actions. And God says this in Hosea chapter 2, Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its seasons, and I will take away my wool and my flax. These things that you think are good gifts, Israel, I'm taking them back because of what you have done. He continues, verse 11, 
I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts and her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. I will lay waste to the vines and the fig trees of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given to me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. God says this place that you think is so great that all these other gods that you have served have given you, I'm gonna turn back into the wilderness that I rescued you from. Trouble, big time. But then God's tone shifts. The next verse, verse 14, same, same chapter, God says this, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. He's talking about his people. And there I will give her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. The valley of trouble will become a door of hope. How? How is it possible that something troublesome can become hopeful? How is it possible that something devoted to destruction can be a door to hope? This is the message of the gospel. Because God himself became a thing devoted to destruction. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh and he lived a perfectly obedient life. The will and the affection of God the Father was always the weightiest thing in his heart. And yet he entered not the valley of Achor, but the cross of Calvary. He became a thing devoted to destruction in your place. Only God can bring hope and new life from destruction. But we're not just talking about a future protection, a future rescue, that Jesus' death and resurrection saves you from punishment in the future. But any trouble that your sin brings in your life now is no longer just acor. It's a door of hope. Because God brings hope and new life from destruction, even the destruction you bring on yourself. When I was in seminary, one of my friends uh, was probably the best student in our class. He was about halfway through seminary, and his mom uh, suddenly died of a brain aneurysm, and it broke him. It totally changed his life. The loss uh, of his mother uh, just ripped him apart, and in order to comfort himself in the sorrow, he began to drink in secret without telling anybody. Didn't tell the pastor of the church he was an intern at, didn't tell us, his friends, didn't tell his wife. One day, months after she had died, his wife found all the empties that he was hiding in the back of his closet. And his world that was already broken fell apart. And I can remember sitting with him, a group of us friends, and saying, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you share with us? Why didn't you let us walk this through with you? And he said, I was too embarrassed that I was so weak. I was too ashamed. I wanted to make sure you thought highly of me. And now here I am. My life my potential career, my marriage, it's all basically over. But it wasn't. In the midst of all that trouble, God worked new life and new hope in him. A new view of himself, a new view of the way that his studies related to who he was, a new and healthier view of his marriage, and a deeper sense of comfort in the midst of sorrow and loss. And I think all of us want that, that new life given to us by God. 
But none of us want to deal with the brokenness and the trouble that it came from. That feels like too much. It feels like all it is is trouble, and so we hide our sin away. We don't tell anybody about it. We don't want it to get out. We don't want to have to experience the trouble, so we keep our sin a secret. Like Achan, we try to bury it. But the good news of the gospel for us this morning comes in two parts. The first is this, as Joshua says, give the Lord God glory. Give him the weight that he is due, worthy of your attention and your effort and your energy and your admiration. And the second part is where that's not the case, where you've given your heart to something else that makes you see and covet and take. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. It will blow up in your face. Bring it out to the light. Confess it. Expose it. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to mean trouble. You might lose a few things. But because of the horror of the cross and the victory of the empty tomb, hope and new life are right there in the brokenness, in the trouble. The good news of the gospel is an invitation to walk into the valley of trouble knowing that is a door of hope that leads through Jesus to new life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you bring dead things back to life, that you make dead hearts new, that you send your son to us in the midst of trouble, in the midst of weakness, to bring us new life. We pray that this morning that you would help us trust you that where things are falling apart or we're trying to keep things together, that you could be at work in it. Help us love one another. Help us care for one another and point one another to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.